Hi there. You're about to hear the audio from our first video interview on the Doc Washburn Show. If you want to watch the video interview, just go to rumble.com and look for the Doc Washburn Show channel. Enjoy. The first episode of our new video interview podcast series is coming right up. Featuring former U.S. Assistant Attorney General Jeff Clark's pushback and what he sees as the deficiencies in the recently released Durham report and his former boss, William Barr's, handling of the Durham investigation. That's coming up in just a moment. Hey, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy a line and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online. If you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental USA, redriverauto.com. You will be glad you did. Now, I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness? vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines. Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and it's never come back. Migraines went away too. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're outside central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Did you know AT&T recently lost billions on Wall Street after their satellite outfit, DirecTV, decided to delete Newsmax? Look, if you want to drop AT&T or any of the big liberal cell phone carriers, I have the perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together. 
and support companies that share our conservative values. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, Doc. I'd love to, but I'm afraid it would be too complicated. It would take too long. Don't worry about it. Switching to Patreon Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. Patreon Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patreon Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And Patreon Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patreon Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes as well as multi-line users. I know I'm saving money with Patreon Mobile. When you switch to Patreon Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patreon Mobile. When you become a Patreon Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT and make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. I've been telling you, the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices. Woke corporations stand against everything we believe in. The big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. What can we do about all this? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company, buy only USA. These products include fresh American-raised beef, raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone. The beef is known as never ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Now, finally... We can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big box conglomerates. Buy only USA. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of patron influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with a woke, globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these big businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned Made in America. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. This company is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me. Welcome to the Washburn Conversation. 
I'm your host, Doc Washburn. Our guest today is the Honorable Jeff Clark, former U.S. Assistant Attorney General of two divisions of the Department of Justice under President Trump and currently Senior Fellow at the Center for Renewing America. Jeff Clark is a strong advocate for justice and the rule of law, which led to him being one of the top targets of Nancy Pelosi's politically motivated January 6th committee. Uh, Jeff Clark, thank you for agreeing to come on with us today. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks, Doc, and thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. We record our interview four days after the release of Special Counsel John Durham's report on matters related to intelligence activities and investigations arising out of the 2016 presidential campaigns. That's the official title of his 306-page report. And it's been three days since former Attorney General William Barr sat for an interview with Brett Baer on Fox News Special Report. Before we get to your response to uh, former AG Bill Barr's response to the Durham report, what are your thoughts on the Durham report? Well, at the highest level, Doc, I'd say that, look, what this report does is it, in the good news front, it, it documents the real coup attempt in the United States within the last several years, which was not, you know, just some people uh, who got bent out of shape and other people who, you know, talk a really big game like LARPers on uh, their internal uh, signal chats or whatever, but rather an organized effort inside the intelligence community apparatus tied into the Hillary Clinton campaign, tied into the Obama administration itself at the highest levels to basically either prevent Donald Trump from getting elected president with spurious allegations of Russian collusion or if uh, he did manage to get elected, which they were counting as a low odds uh, proposition, wrongfully, but that's what they thought, uh, to make his presidency a byword, to uh, tie him up in, in efficiencies and responding, always on his back foot, responding to whatever their latest Russia collusion allegation was, and potentially to remove him from office uh, using a special counsel uh, kind of leverage point to do that. So that's the good news. I think the bad news is that it doesn't look like there's any, you know, real plan to uh, engage in any accountability based on this. We had one uh, successful prosecution based on a guilty plea of a young lawyer named Kevin Kleinsmith, but we had two unsuccessful prosecutions brought by Durham. And in the report, he basically throws in the towel and says he doesn't think anything else he uh, has, you know, meet the level where he would want to pursue prosecution. And then we have the attorney general basically putting the report out, but not commenting in the sense of indicating where he agreed or disagreed. I think that's something that the House needs to call him in to be questioned about uh, because he should go on record with his own views of the Durham report. So, you know, to, to many in America who are very frustrated by the fact that the whole Russia collusion story, which, you know, occupied, almost monopolized obsessively uh, the mainstream media and print and, you know, the MSNBCs and CNNs of the world for years uh, that, you know, they were able to do that and diminish and, and uh, you know, block in various ways uh, action by the Trump administration. And, you know, no one's really going to be uh, uh, held accountable for that. It's just going to be that they 
you know, their names kind of go down in infamy, at least in some cases, based on a new report that John Durham wrote. So that those are my high level observations, uh, Doc. You know, you brought up something, and I've been watching a lot of coverage of the report on cable news. I've been reading a lot on Twitter. I've been reading a lot of articles. Um, and everybody talks about the fact that a week ago, Friday, May 12th, Merrick Garland received a copy of the report uh, from John Durham. He read it over the weekend, all 306 pages, didn't redact anything, didn't change anything. Um, on Monday, the 15th, gave it to members of Congress. But <laughs> I, you just made a point. I don't think I've heard anybody say, okay, uh, Merrick Garland, wh- what do you, what do you think about this? Right. And that's, that's remarkable. Now that you've said it, it seems like everybody would have been saying, well, how come Garland didn't say anything about it? But you're the first person I've heard say anything about that. And, um, you know how much he loves appearing before uh, congressional committees, especially in the House where Republicans are in charge. Do you think Do you think it will occur to somebody from maybe the Weaponization Committee, the Oversight Committee, Judiciary, somebody to say, hey, uh, A.G. Garland, why don't you come on here and talk about this? Well, I've, I've tweeted out this point, uh, Doc, and I've also, I think, said it on at least one uh, you know, podcast appearance, um, I think on, on Bannon's war room. And, uh, look, I, you know, I, I get this, uh, doc, you know, I've gotten this my whole career, right. Uh, sometimes spotting, you know, the incredibly complex and arcane and other times spotting things that are, uh, obvious, but somehow, uh, are hiding in plain sight. So I do think it's very important that AG Garland, uh, should have to go on the record and take positions about whether he agrees with this or not. Because I think that the gambit, uh, that essentially Durham ran is, that he comes out with the report, which is largely consistent with what things uh, Barr had said long prior to, you know, the report and even prior to Durham's appointment. Uh, and, you know, maybe the there was kind of a, uh, you know, a tacit uh, standoff in the sense of like, well, Garland won't endorse it, but he won't attack it either. And, you know, it'll just be a report that sits on the shelf and each side can draw their own conclusions from it. So we know that's actually the current state of play. That's what's happening, right? The the right side, uh, the you know conservative media, uh, you know, they're pointing out all of the amazing, uh, you know, underscorings in many instances of uh, instances of things that have already come out from, say, Devin Nunes and uh, Cash Patel's uh, work. Uh, but um, you know, uh, but there are some you know new new things, and. Uh, you know, then on the other side, you have, you know, Andrew Weissman and other folks appearing on MSNBC saying, you know, where's the beef? Uh, you know, I don't really see that this this is a gigantic waste of millions of taxpayer dollars. So, you know, the, it would be helpful, right, in particular in trying to underscore that the conclusions, you know, are at least, quote unquote, uh Bipartisan. If, you know, you got uh, Durham, the Republican appointee for this special counsel role, and you got, you know, A.G. Garland, uh, Democrat, to see, you know, where the overlap areas are or whether he wildly disagrees with it in some respect. In any event, he should be put on the public record about that. And I think that that should be an easy top of the agenda item for the uh, the House Weaponization Committee or the House uh, Judiciary Committee generally. 
Yeah, well, like you said, uh, Garland's buddies struck in McCabe over there on, you know, on the the liberal cable news. Like, ah, there's nothing to this. No, he, no, Durham doesn't even understand what we had and and all this kind of stuff, which is ridiculous. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what um, what Garland has to say. You know, it would have been wonderful, in my opinion, if Fox News had given someone equal time, like yourself, perhaps, to rebut what many Americans see as fundamental failures of the Durham investigation, but such was not the case. Our hope is that through this interview, William Barr, Christopher Ray, John Durham will become aware of your objections. And I think the objections of millions of Americans to Barr's exaggerations of the efficacy of the Durham investigation. Now, Brett Baer began his interview with William Barr asking, what's your take as you read this report? What do you take away from it? So we're going to grab a, uh, a video file of uh, William Barr here and, and see what he had to say. I take away from it that it was a success in that its purpose from the very beginning was to get to the truth. It was not launched as a criminal investigation, and people who compare it to the Mueller investigation are simply wrong. I asked him to get to the bottom of it, get his arms around the truth. If he found crimes, we could prosecute them. But I think that's, that's what he's done. Well, I guess it's a very emotional topic for uh, William Barr. He got kind of kind of tongue-tied there. But I think... <laughs> I, I think you get you, you you get the point. What what do you what do you think about? Um, I mean, do do you agree with Bill Barr that the Durham investigation was a success? Well, it's you know it brings me back to answer your question with the question, which is how do you define success? Right. And um, one move he makes there in order to define success as he wants to define it is to define it as he did. What I asked him to do, which was to go and get to the bottom of facts, get to the truth. Uh, and so he released a report about his view of what the truth is. Ergo, there's success. Now, um, my uh, reaction to that is, you know, that's not really the, the full purpose of the special counsel regulations. Now, they don't require criminal prosecutions, nor, nor could they or should they. I think that would obviously be a violation of due process. You have to do the investigation first, and then you have to apply fact to law and then decide whether you have, you know, a case that meets the standards for uh, prosecution, what your odds of success are, what your venue options are, et cetera. So it's not as if asking, you know, assigning a, a special counsel means that you have to have pros- any prosecutions, really. But to say that the the goal from the start was just to write a report, I think that's stretching the truth. And I also think it ignores the fact that, you know, Bill Barr is not living in a vacuum, right? He's uh, very... Uh, uh, you know, shrewd individual. He's watching the media. He knows that uh, there are many in the media who are constantly predicting that the prosecutions, the big indictments are just around the corner. Just wait, just give more time to uh, Durham and he'll bring them, right? And, you know, if really were the case that this was just supposed to be a report, that was its goal from the start, uh, then, you know, I think it was incumbent on AG Barr to disabuse the nation of that, to like come in when those kinds of uh, predictions started being made and say, no, 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 this is, that's not, you know, well, what this was all about. This He's just going to probably be producing a report. So, you know, uh, tamp down your expectations, you know, tamp down your hope. The other thing is, 
uh, you know, Doc, that, you know, the Justice Department has an inspector general put to the side, you know, for now questions about the constitutionality of the Inspector General Act, uh, you know, from the 1970s. But if you assume that it's constitutional and you know that the IG had already put out a report, right, then the, the question becomes, why do you need a special counsel to do another report? Uh, does that mean that you disagreed with the report uh, produced by the inspector general? And I don't see much of that. So there are just there are a lot of questions floating around here. And to give the impression that, uh, oh, you know, like we do this all the time, you know, a special counsel gets uh, appointed, he produces a report, you know, uh, everything's done, uh, you know, move along. Uh, you know, the, it is what it is. I, yeah. I don't think that's uh, in accord either with, you know, the, the expectations of the American people or of, you know, really what the special counsel regulations exist for, which is actually to do the kinds of things the Justice Department does to ensure accountability if there are, you know, the necessary findings for that. And it and it does look like there are lots of, uh, you know, very uh, suspicious, uh, you know, hinky things at the very least. I think it's worse than that. Like, let's just take the fact that there's an August 2016 meeting in the Oval Office with uh, John Brennan, A.G. Lynch, Barack Obama, um, and you know they're they're uh, they know uh, at that time uh, that Hillary Clinton's campaign is planning to quote unquote vilify President Trump and use uh, ostensible ties to Russia to do that. So um, you know that we're it seems to me a lot of times uh, that uh, you know we're we're looking at people in the spin factory. And I think that uh, that that uh, A.G. Barr has a Ph.D. in industrial, uh, you know, spin economics. Um, and so, you know, I think that's what we're seeing in this Brer, uh, Bet Brer, uh, Baird interview. Yeah. You know, you, you brought up something, though. Um, don't you think there is kind of a major disagreement between Durham and Inspector General Horowitz in that Horowitz and his report said that the opening of the crossfire hurricane investigation was properly predicated and Durham's like, Oh no, no, it wasn't at all. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so this is why another reason why I raised the issue of Congress, you know, the house getting attorney general Garland on the record, right? What is the current justice department's position as to whether that investigation was properly predicated or not. Yeah. Is it the Michael Horowitz IG version or is it the uh, special counsel Durham uh, version yeah. of events? You know, you could have some real fun if you had um, Durham and Horowitz testify at the same time at the same table. Or, or why not Durham Horowitz and uh, the AG, right? And Bar- this, all three. This, yeah. the, this actually raises a question. So, so you know, I'll recommend this to your uh, viewers and listeners, Doc. I've just put out a paper uh, about uh, arguing that essentially there's a myth that the Justice Department is independent of the president, right? We really, according to the framers and the way they structured and wrote the Constitution, we have a unitary executive. Everybody reports to the president. He's the boss, right? The chief law enforcement officer of the United States is not the attorney general. It is the president of the United States because Article 2's Take Care Clause says the president shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed, okay? 
And what we've had in the wake of Watergate is an attempt essentially to break the Justice Department off from that presidential chain of command in in various ways. And then even worse than that, to balkanize the department into different uh, sort of subunits. And this disagreement we're talking about in terms of the predication for uh, the whole crossfire hurricane operation and, uh, you know, the Russiagate hoax is a key one. And it's, it's occurring because of this, you know, leftist idea concerning independence, right? So why do we have an IG? We have an IG because in reaction to the Watergate scandal, Democrats thought that uh, we needed basically to have, uh, you know, an independent congressional watchdog inside, or at least quasi-independent uh, congressional watchdog inside the Justice Department. Why do we have special counsel regulations? We have those because originally Congress thought in reaction to Watergate that we need to have uh, an independent counsel, right? So we had people, you know, like Lawrence Walsh and, and Ken Starr, uh, who served as independent counsel, but that statute sunset. And then, you know, there were these regulations created inside DOJ to at least to some extent try to replicate that statutory scheme. But both of them are born of independence, right? So you really have, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, a beast with three heads. You have an IG view under under the independence. You have a special counsel view under the independence or quasi-independence. And then you have the unstated AG view, right? It would be great to have a hearing where you could have, you know, the three potentially different perspectives on this all brought together. And then, you know, the House could uh, potentially use that to get to the truth of who's really looking at this from the right perspective, or is it, you know, some kind of different blend or amalgam of what those three officials would tell them? Yeah. So this new article, is this at the Center for Renewing America website? Yes, it's up on the Center for Renewing America website, which is AmericaRenewing.com. And I tweeted it out today so people could also find it in my Twitter stream, which uh, is Jeff Clark US. Uh, that's the same uh, name on Getter and then my name on Truth Social, but I haven't put it up on Getter or Truth Social yet, yeah. is uh, real Jeff Clark. Very good, very good. And, and, you know, if you do get Horowitz and Durham, and uh, Garland, you know, all sitting at the table, uh, maybe Lisa Monaco would show up, too, to kind of represent Garland and whisper in his ear what to say. Sorry. My people remember, I apologize. I'm sorry. Well, I would just say to that, right, that, that uh, you know, generally speaking, that, you know, even uh, Democrat AGs seem to recognize there is you know, a unitary command up to the uh, the AG. But, you know, one of the things I point out in the, in the law, piece that's on the center's website is that we had uh, Jeffrey Berman, who was the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, yeah. right? And uh, he wrote a book and then it was, you know, being applauded by, you know, uh, a Democrat former U.S. attorney in a book review uh, that I cite where he's complaining basically that, you know, I should be a lot more, ind- we should have been a lot more independent of Barr. Right. So, you know, now take a step back. The constitutional system is that the president is the chief and everyone reports to him. That is, you know, without doubt, the constitutional system. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one thing to even start arguing in some way that the Justice Department headed by an AG should have some independence from the uh, president. We have that. But then to imagine there's someone who's two levels below the AG, that would be a U.S. attorney, right, who reports up through the deputy attorney general currently, Lisa yeah. Monaco, that he can decide for himself what to do, right? Like, do, do we want to have a country ruled by, you know, 90 
uh, you know, plus kind of individual satrapies wielding Department of Justice power? I don't think so. And I don't think that's the system that the framers bequeathed to us. Right, right, right. And, and, you know, you made a good point a few minutes ago when you were saying that, you know, you just don't establish a special counsel investigation um, like the one with Durham with the thought that uh, the purpose here is to prosecute people, at least not with a Republican special counsel. I mean, uh, you know, I, the, the Democrats ever since January 6th have been doing the uh, the old Stalin, Lawrence Berea thing, show me the man, you know, I'll show you the crime, but we're not supposed to do it that way. No, I mean, I, I don't, as I was, I think, careful to say, I don't think that uh, having, you know, these regulations or appointing a special counsel under the regulations means that there must be uh, a prosecution at the end yeah. of the day. Right. But my point is just that to it, it goes too far to take it in the direction of like, well, it was only ever going to be a report. I don't see why, you know, essentially people are disappointed. Um, you know, that's that's I think uh, uh, that's why I say, you know, he's got the the masters or the Ph.D. in spin factorying. Yeah. Because I don't think that 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 is really what the what the regulations are for. They're supposed to, you know, lead to an investigation. Yes. And for any appropriate prosecutions to be brought. And I don't really see a very careful explanation of why it was that Kevin Kleinsmith, uh, you know, needed to be prosecuted. Igor Danchenko needed to be prosecuted. You know, the lawyer Sussman needed to be prosecuted. But, you know, uh, folks who recognized that the Hillary Clinton campaign was the gen- – in the Oval Office, for gosh sakes, was the Oval Office – I mean, sorry, was the uh, – uh, you know, the, the Hillary Clinton campaign was the genesis of the whole operation and the whole Russiagate phenomena, right? Like, what, why, why do they – uh, get treated differently, right? Other than the fact that they're loftier figures and they seem to uh, be untouchables. Yeah. Let's see here. I think Jim Comey was the one who said no reasonable prosecute. Well, um, yeah, but we obviously disagree with uh, former FBI Director Comey. Um, all right. Well, Brett Baer continues in this interview with uh, Bill Barr by saying the key takeaways There was no actual evidence to support launching Crossfire Hurricane. Also, the Hillary Clinton campaign directly or indirectly funding and driving much of the investigation. Uh, And he asked Bill Barr, is that what's key to you? And here's uh, Bill Barr's response. What this is shown is that uh, the source and there are really two sources and drivers of this whole uh, ugly episode, uh, and that is uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign who launched a smear campaign that was based on getting Russian sources, Russian sources to spread false information about Donald Trump and peddled it to the press and to the government, the FBI. And both the press and the FBI abandoned any semblance of professionalism and took up the cause with a vengeance. And I think the real story here from the FBI's perspective is what an abomination this was, this so-called investigation. Well, he, he's getting tongue-tied again, but Bill Barr goes on to say that it was uh, it was basically a, a witch hunt. Uh, so perhaps you and Bill Barr have an area of agreement here. Was the FBI's targeting of Donald Trump a witch hunt? Yes, it was a witch hunt. It didn't have uh, adequate predication. Uh, so I agree with Durham and Barr there uh, yeah. and disagree with the IG there. 
And, uh, you know, they didn't even check out or, you know, talk to the, to the, uh, original sources themselves. Also, Danchenko, uh, you know, who he was really the source for this to Christopher Steele. Uh, and, you know, he had subsources, right? And, it, you know, it turned around, uh, it tur- turned out basically, uh, Doc, that it was kind of like a whole rumor mill, uh, operation. Um, and, you know, I'm not even convinced that the rumors were real and organic. Uh, you know, rather, I, I, I wonder if they cooked up the rumors uh, yeah. or some of them cooked up the rumors and then they fed them to Danchenko. Danchenko probably, you know, my guess might be he might even not have believed them himself. And look, the FBI paid Danchenko like $220,000 um, for producing worthless intelligence that even the British, you know, uh, who obviously that's the, their tradition is what Christopher Steele, uh, you know, the MI agent comes out of. And, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't buy this. They thought it was incredibly thin and they didn't really want to participate in, in helping on it. So, uh, you know, I think that, that then that treatment of these allegations against Donald Trump, which I think were ridiculous from the start, like, could he be a, a, a Russian asset? You know, I mean, come on. No, anyone with common sense knows that that's ridiculous. And if right. you're going to allege that and investigate that, you'd have to have some really good uh, sources or just, you know, hard documentary proof or hard bank record proof or something like that. They had nothing like that. Uh, so that's how they treated Donald Trump. Like, we got to move on a dime and, uh, you know, get an investigation going against him. But, you know, they walked various investigations involving the Hillary Clinton campaign to the sideline. They, you know, they they squelched those, they put the lid on those. So that contrast shows you that, you know, the FBI, uh, as to these matters, was not uh, giving people sort of equal treatment under the law. Quite the contrary. You know, Trump got the, uh, you know, uh, proctology exam and Hillary Clinton got the sort of what? I don't, I don't see anything here, you know, inspector Clouseau treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Brett bear continues in the interview with Bill Barr saying, as you can imagine, reaction has been all over the place, but on other networks, pretty specific criticism of the report. And he says, take a listen. And at this point we have, um, um, Brett Bear playing uh, what some of the uh, people we had spoken about uh, earlier are are saying on the other networks. For years, millions of dollars, a record long investigation, and he has nothing to show for it. There was just this real lack of substance to what he was doing. This was trying to say that there's a big there there when you know there's no there there. Well, you, what you got there is you got Joe Scarborough. And then you have uh, Andrew Weissman, and then you have uh, some legal analysts on CNN who, uh, again, cat got her tongue. Uh, but then Brett Baer asks William Barr, what do you say to that? And here's, uh, here's Barr's response. The lie was Russia. The lie was there was collusion. There was nothing to support it. And these people were implicated in, in spreading that lie and benefiting from it personally and hurting the country with their conspiracy mongering. My effort and Durham's effort was to look at that, which which turned out had nothing behind it. I mean, talk about coming up empty. Mueller came up empty. He took an old case against Manafort and resuscitated it. He prosecuted Stone for lying to Congress. But there was no collusion. And at this point, uh, Bill Barr goes on to say that uh, that he and Durham um, 
got the answers. Um, do you, do you agree? Um, well, I mean, they got the answers. It's just, why don't they do anything with it? Right. Well, and, and couldn't these answers have gotten a lot sooner, uh, been gotten a lot sooner. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it seems to me that it's very convenient that it, uh, you know, there, there was, uh, there were not explicit promises made, but there was a lot of noise made about Durham. And then, as I said, I think it was clear uh, what many in the public and many even educated commentators thought might come out of this, right? And I think it had the collective effect of being something that uh, uh, was used to placate President Trump, right? He's being attacked falsely by this whole Russiagate op- uh, operation. He knows that its ultimate source, original source, was uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign and some of the same people in government, you know, that we have now, like Jake Sullivan and the like, you know, and the, and the, their major uh, Democrat election lawyer, Mark Elias and Fusion GPS and uh, the uh, Bruce Orr character who was inside uh, the DAG's office and his wife who was working with Fusion GPS, et cetera. Trump knows all that. And, you know, the, Barr is saying very early on that it looks like this was kind of an operation, you know, a, a soft coup against Trump, as it were. You yeah. know, why did it take so many years to to produce this report? It seems like what you have then have to ask yourself the question, well, who benefits from having gone so slow? And I think the answer is, uh, you know, statutes of limitations arguably start to lapse, although, you know, that's something that should be looked at again in 2025. And, uh, you know, and then President Trump doesn't take significant reform efforts over the FBI because <clears throat> there's, you know, some sense that, you know, Durham's results are just around the corner. And as it's, you know, turned out, you know, the, the results were a giant book report, you know, his competing book report against the IG book report. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and we'll, we'll talk about uh, reforms uh, imagined or real here in a minute. But uh, Brett Baer tries to drill down a little by asking, is there something that stops short of being a success if you don't get a prosecution? Uh, he failed in the prosecution that he brought forward. Obviously, there are other and I don't know why he says prosecution uh, singular instead of plural, because you get Danchenko and Sussman. Uh, but he says, obviously, there are other people that are mentioned here, but there's not an action against them in court. Uh, and so at this point, um, William Barr responds thusly. I made clear all the way through this thing. The first step is to find out what happened and get to the truth. And if crimes can be proven which are very high standard, you have to prove uh, intent beyond a reasonable doubt, they'll be brought. But I've tried to, I try to explain to people as we went along that when you're dealing with people who make discretionary decisions that were within their authority, it's very hard to prove corrupt intent. So I, 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 I you know, if, if there was a provable crime that would be brought, John Durham felt he could not prove criminal intent. Okay, uh, well that that sets a record because I think uh, I think Bill Barr got all the way through the video clip on that one, and uh, all right, that, that's the way it's going to go from here on in. I, I think we have much to celebrate. Uh, but Jeff Clark, we're, we're using new technology here today, and we appreciate your patience. Jeff Clark, do you believe that that's why 
there were no further prosecutions because it would have been very hard to prove corrupt intent. And, and for that matter, do you even have to prove corrupt intent? So, Doc, you know, look, that clip is uh, more accurate in terms of how the regulations work than how he started. So there he says the first step is to do the investigation, right? And then you decide whether to bring the prosecutions. That's an accurate description of the regulations and why they were put in place, uh, et cetera. I also agree with him that intent is a very high bar, at least if one looks at it objectively. And so, you know, I, I, I hope that, uh, the special counsel, Jack Smith, both as to the uh, January 6th investigation and the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation, applies that, you know, very high standard of uh, proving intent and, you know, that he does it even handedly. You know, what what shouldn't be happening is we shouldn't be in a situation where, you know, bringing cases in D.C., uh, is, you know, a, a 95% or so uh, Democrat town, that's where you get yeah. the jury pools from, oh, yeah. that, you know, it's very difficult to prove to them that a uh, a Democrat or Democrat-leaning uh, or just, you know, kind of purportedly uh, non-apolitical career person acted with criminal intent if Donald Trump was on the skewering end of what they did, but that, you know, it's a uh, it's a much lower bar to prove that uh, those who served in the Trump administration or lawyers of uh, Donald Trump or Donald Trump himself uh, somehow, you know, let, there it becomes easier to prove intent. Right. We need to have one standard of, uh, you know, what the criminal intent uh, requirement is and for it to be essentially, you know, independent. You know, there's a, there's a political philosopher, John Rawls, who talks about the veil of ignorance. Right. A prosecutor should really be asking the question question, uh, you know, what, what does this meet the standard if I don't know exactly who the jury is? And if I could go to a median jury in the United States and I could prove to them that there was criminal intent, then I bring the case. And if I can't do it, uh, then I don't. It shouldn't be something where, hey, you know, I can I can skewer any Republican official or or, uh, you know, conservative or MAGA uh, believing person in D.C. So, you know, there's a different standard. But, you know, if we're talking about whether Michael Sussman, uh, you know, committed some kind of crime like, oh, no, that's like impossible to prove. You have to have an equal standard. And, you know, one of the, the mystifying things to me is uh, that it's almost like, you know, Durham's kind of, you know, he, he is applying apparently, a, you know, high standard of intent. That's good. Uh, you know, he did successfully bring a case against Kleinsmith, but he's a very small fish, you know, working, I think, as part of a much larger operation. Uh, you know, Danchenko uh, and Sussman, you know, they get off. You know, I'm not sure that they would have gotten off if, if there was a case brought against them in some other uh, part of the country. I think that uh, one ingredient in the fact that they got off is that they were in a very pro-Democrat jurisdiction. And, you know, yeah. you, you have to be even handed, but, you know, you also have to think about, you know, you don't you don't need to be uh, Don Quixote and, you know, kind of joust against uh, windmills like trying to get, you know, prosecutions of, you know, deep Democrat officials like that, uh, you know, or, or figures like that in uh, D.C. Well, and since you mentioned um, the overwhelmingly Democrat jury pool in Washington, D.C., there's an elephant in the living room here, which is the concern uh, that uh, Matthew Graves, a totally partisan Democrat prosecutor who's been prosecuting all the January 6th um, 
uh, indictments uh, and recently got some seditious conspiracy, uh, uh, you know, uh, guilty verdicts in uh, Proud Boy stuff. We'll try to use that as a foundation to go after uh, former President Trump. And as we've seen over and over again with the January 6th prosecutions, these hardcore Democrat jury pools, these hardcore Democrat juries, pardon me, in Washington, D.C., they don't really need evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, they want to throw people in jail for being Trump supporters. Uh, and and my real concern is uh, that, uh, that Matthew Graves, their U.S. attorney, D.C., I go after Donald Trump and uh, a D.C. jury might not care about the fact there's no evidence he did anything wrong. And uh, I don't know if you want to speak to that. Well, I'll, I'll speak to the fact that it seems to me like there's a double standard, right? So yeah. in the summer of 2020, we had uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter raising havoc in D.C. Uh, yeah. You know, there were uh, uh, broken windows everywhere, uh, property damage, uh, so much so that even for months after that, all the windows were boarded up. You know, if you put together the COVID lockdown effect plus, uh, plus that, you know, D.C. looked like it was a, a third world country for many months. Uh, and you had the church across uh, Lafayette Square from the White House set on fire. You had uh, the Secret Service deciding that President Trump's uh, was sufficiently in danger from the mobs that were outside, uh, you know, in and near the park that they had to move him, you know, underground uh, in the White House, you know, complex and tunnels. And uh, that went on for days, right? Whereas we're talking with the January 6th incident, you know, a, you know, few hour, uh, you know, uh, uh, riot that happened, you know, uh, coming out of a political protest, um, you know, on, uh, on that one day. So why is it that, uh, you know, there are like a thousand people who've been prosecuted and then plans to prosecute another, another thousand more. But why do I, you know, see either the Antifa people get off scot-free or yeah. deals are entered into with them to drop their charges or give them slaps on the wrist? Uh, I, I would argue that the Antifa riots in the summer of 2020 were a lot more serious than the uh, January 6th. Uh, episode, uh, both in terms of the numbers of people involved, the property damage done, uh, the threat to to the president, uh, and um, you know the fact that we're even talking about like burning a historic building, but yet you know we don't. It's not like we're seeing something that is off like this many degrees, and you're talking about like well, you know, in one uh, person's eyes, that's. Uh, good enough or equal in other person's eyes, it's out of whack. We're talking about this. I mean, there's a chasm between how those two different types of defendants are being treated, and I don't really see that it's objectively justifiable. Yeah, no, you're right. And there is video out there, although most Americans haven't seen it, I have, of a peaceful crowd of Trump protesters who became enraged when police started shooting flashbang grenades uh, and tear gas canisters into their midst. But, you know, nobody's talking about that and on Fox News or, or anywhere. We'll be back with more of our interview with former U.S. Assistant Attorney General Jeff Clark in just a moment on the Washburn Conversation. I've been telling you, the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices. 
Woke corporations stand against everything we believe in. The big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. What can we do about all this? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company, Buy Only USA? These products include fresh American-raised beef, raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone. The beef is known as never ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big box conglomerates. Buy only USA. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of patron influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with a woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these big businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned Made in America. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. This company is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me. Our buddy Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. And he's done it again. Introducing MyPillow 2.0. MyPillow 2.0 is a brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0's new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. You know, your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 was developed to provide a cool surface. It's engineered for comfort. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and there's a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. As a special introductory offer for my listeners, when you buy your new MyPillow 2.0, you get a second one free just by using promo code DWS. Mike also created the best bed sheets ever. They look great. They feel great, which means they even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. My wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dream sheets. Right now, buy a set of Giza Dream sheets for just $29.98 by using promo code DWS. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles, like plush, waffle, or gossamer. Get huge discounts on blankets, duvets, quilts, and down comforters just by using that promo code DWS. Now, I'm wearing my new My Slippers Moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, 
Save big on my slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins. Closeout sale price is just $25 by using promo code DWS. Not only that, Mike's having the biggest closeout sale ever on his sandals, just $19.98. What makes my slippers different is Mike's exclusive four-layer design you're not going to find anywhere else. My slippers patented layers make them ultra-comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. And remember, that does not stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Washman Schultz. No, no. DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices. So please order now. Just use promo code DWS. Now, the great Ronald Reagan once said, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. Last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Michael Flynn, and we're glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest and conservative podcast. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals, bh-pm.com. If you can't remember that, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. No matter what search engine you use, it's the first thing that comes up. Make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn silver coin, too, and let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments bh-pm.com or Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Going on with the Brett Baer interview with uh, William Barr, Brett Baer next asks, well, what do you think comes out of that? I mean, is it up to Capitol Hill to force changes at the FBI? What comes out of this? And so here is Bill Barr's response to that. I, I do think that the Hill can follow up on this and make sure that appropriate changes are made. I have to say that one of the things coming out of this is it's clear that the FBI, the problem that came from the top, this was not necessarily institutional rot or problems that may exist today. This was Comey, McCabe, Strzok driving this thing from the top. That is no longer the problem at the FBI. There may there are problems that have to be addressed, but that's not the problem. And I have to say that there have been some changes. Chris Ray and I. Well, what he's getting ready to say there is that uh, he and Chris Ray put a lot of uh, 
serious changes in and that uh, that's that's no longer uh, a problem. Jeff Clark, do you agree with Bill Barr that he and Chris Raid made changes that were meaningful enough to the FBI to prevent the possibility of another crossfire hurricane uh, observation uh, operation? Pardon me. I think that question, Doc, answers itself when when you look at things that have happened in the FBI uh, in uh, this administration, right, which is uh, that, you know, we've seen parents targeted by the National Security Division and by their counterparts, uh, you know, at school board meetings uh, and their counterparts at the FBI. Uh, We've seen uh, memos, you know, from the Richmond uh, field office about uh, traditional Catholics who like to go to Catholic mass uh, being domestic uh, extremists that need to be monitored. Uh, you know, there's there are indications that uh, the FBI would go to churches where Latin masses were being heard. They would surveil the people from the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have uh, footage that surfaces of FBI agents being sent out to harass and question uh, uh, pro-life advocates. We have the arrest and prosecution of Mark Houck. Luckily, you know, a jury acquitted him, uh, you know, in in the uh, in Pennsylvania. So, you know, if we really had these great reforms that were going to keep the or put the FBI back on the straight and narrow, you know, they don't seem to be working. I think we need much stronger medicine than that. And the other thing, right, is that that Barr's assurance is, well, you know, this happened at the top. Uh, you know, of the of the FBI chain of command, and now right. those people aren't there. Right. Well, uh, but now we have people above them in the chain of command, right? Who, you know, are are arguably, uh, you know, just as yeah. uh, uh, radical in their views. So. I, you know, I think, as is witness, you know, uh, born witness by the fact that we're unleashing the National Security Division, which was created in the wake of 9 11, uh, inside DOJ on parents who are upset about, uh, you know, their daughters getting raped in, in trans bathrooms and that, uh, you know, critical race theory is being taught in their schools. Meanwhile, their kids are not learning how to read, write, and compute. Yeah. Yeah, um, the part that got cut off there at the end was where Bill Barr says, well, obviously uh, more changes could be made. So obviously you would agree with that. And unfortunately, Brett Baer, who was in a, a time limit, didn't have a follow-up question like, oh, really? What kind of changes do you think still need to be made? Right. So uh, just all the, all the examples you just gave, obviously it's clear that whatever modifications um, Chris Ray and Bill Barr made, um, you know, really didn't stop all these horrible abuses for, from happening. So next, Brett Baer says, it's interesting to listen to not only Andrew Weissman, who was on the Mueller probe, but also to Andrew McCabe. And then we have this clip. I vehemently disagree with, uh, with Mr. Durham's characterizations of what we did in the report. And it's, it's very simple. He, he betrays a deep misunderstanding of not only what we knew at the time, but how we make these decisions. You have with John Durham is like, it's a big fat nothing. And it reminds me of the sort of weaponization um, hearings mm-hmm. that are going on. So, uh, which uh, obviously Weissman is going to, um, you know, slam the weaponization um, hearings. But Brett Baer follows up just really briefly um, uh, saying to uh, Bill Barr, and 
that's what you hear to which uh, our response there is is that uh, this investigation was launched by McCain, who directed it and he brought immediately, opened immediately, before they even interviewed the Australian diplomat. And that turned out to be a nothing burger. And uh, they then proceeded with this investigation, which they knew. They had just received intelligence that Hillary Clinton's campaign was spreading this information about Trump. And yet they took this information at face value. They relied upon it. It was unvetted. Uh, things happened here that were a radical departure from how these cases are normally handled. I, I think I think you get the point there from um, from Bill Barr. Um, now, Jeff Clark, I'm certainly no lawyer, but I am aware of something called the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act or RICO. Uh, how could what the FBI did to Trump not qualify for prosecution under RICO? Because Barr's just like, well, nothing we can do about it. But it, it, am I just completely um, insane to think that um, a good prosecutor should at least look at RICO here? Well, I think that uh, it should be looked at. A lot of things should have been looked at. And, you know, look, if if there is a new uh, Republican president in 2025, I think that, uh, you know, the Justice Department should, you know, the new sheriffs of the Justice Department under a new presidential master sheriff, uh, you know, should look at uh you know, all kinds of potential statutory theories, look at the applicable statutes of limitations. You know, statute of limitation analysis can be very complex. It's not, yeah. you know, as as simple as, uh, you know, just imagining a date in your head and then adding the years in the statute of limitations and saying, you know, are we past it or not? Um, because there are issues about when does it start to run? Uh, you know, is are we talking about a continuing crime, et cetera? So all that would need to be looked at. I don't. I don't think that uh, you know it's the kind of thing that should be prejudged. We we know that Durham is not because you know, he said so. He's not going to bring any prosecutions now, yeah. uh, and he's going to ride off into the sunset. And you know we should have the hearing, but I I very much doubt that uh, A. G. Garland is going to say, "Oh no, I disagree with Durham deciding not to pursue any prosecutions." I've looked at the, all the material he had, and I'm actually going to pursue the prosecutions. So, uh, but that's not you know necessarily the end of the story, right? Others could look at the full file on this uh, and make you know a different determination. And indeed, you know this is a report that's been put out, right? Um, and who knows? We don't know whether there were, you know, drafts of this report that were sent to Garland before, you know, a formal version was produced and released. Uh, and we certainly don't have anything like, you know, was there a young lawyer, uh, you know, a young assistant uh, U.S. attorney on loan from some office in the United States who was tasked with Durham, uh, you know, write me a RICO memo and tell me whether you think based on the facts that we're finding, whether, you know, RICO uh, will hold up or apply here you know, in, in a way that could produce a, a yeah. colorable or, or successful prosecution or not. So, you know, there'll be a whole bunch of inherently privileged materials, but ones that, you know, new leadership in the Justice Department could look at that we won't, you know, ever see and that the Justice Department would never release under FOIA. Good point. So, I mean, just because Durham doesn't do a criminal referral publicly, officially and say, hey, we ought to go after you know, Hillary Clinton, Comey, Strutt, Gabe, whoever, 
uh, uh, under RICO doesn't mean that he didn't ask somebody to at least look into it. But the, the point that a lot of people don't realize, I'm glad you brought up, is if you have a continuing criminal enterprise, there's no statute of limitations if it's still going on. And that is the way that they have brought RICO cases in the past, ever since RICO became law, what, uh, 53, 54 years ago, something like that. Um, yeah, very, very good point on that. And, you know, and, uh, and look, I mean, we have the, the E.G. E. Jean uh, Carroll civil case against President Trump, right, which we know, yeah. you know, is is so stale. You know, the bread is like hard and, and uh, crumbly and dusty. Uh, but, you know, the, the uh, New York legislature essentially revivified that claim. And, you know, I, I think it's not something that's probably well understood uh, to many uh, lay people, but, you know, there's a difference between a statute of limitations and a statute of repose. So a statute of limitations sets a time limit to bring a claim, but it doesn't actually extinguish it. Uh, but a statute of repose, you know, is something that that sort of bars, uh, you know, proceeding. So a legislature is always kind of free in a statute of limitations kind of situation to resurrect uh, you know, a cause of action. And so we don't know what Congress is going to look like in, in 2025 after the 2024 election. Uh, but, you know, there are lots of things that could potentially happen. And again, I, you know, I don't want to, uh, uh, I can talk about what the report says about particular individuals, et cetera, and I can raise questions, but I, I would never presume to say that any particular individual, um, you know, should be prosecuted uh, based on what I would uh, have seen because I know there are non-public documents that any rational lawyer who was in the Justice Department would want to look at first. Uh, there are just lots of lots of things like that. I, I, I wish that, uh, you know, that was the standard on the other side, whereas it looks to me like, you know, MSNBC and CNN, you know, they almost uh, make their money uh, constantly off of ravening legal wolves who are always predicting that Donald Trump's destruction is right around the corner, advocating for his prosecution, advocating for the prosecution of his allies, advocating for the prosecution of people who went uh, to the, the protest on January 6th, etc. You know, I just don't I don't spend a lot of time, uh, you know, in private life, right, where I hold no government power, kind of thinking about like who 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 I could prosecute, right? I'm, I'm actually going to focus on the larger topics of legal reform. Uh, and, you know, at the center, we're also focused on a lot of topics of, of uh, societal reform and cultural renewal because of all this wokeism that's on the, on the horizon So uh, and happening. So anyway, I, I think that there's just, it's almost like there's a disease, Doc, at this point on the left, where you know they're they're bloodthirsty they're just they're calling for heads they're calling for scalps and uh you know i i I think it's not like there's no one on the right who's doing that but i think any cooler head on the right is not doing that whereas like the number of people who seem to get paid by cnn and msnbc to regularly come on and you know call for someone to uh, be brought up on on charges of treason or the equivalent of that it's just it's mind-boggling yeah, the cable news network should get James Earl Jones to cut a, a new liner. This is CNN, where the walls are still closing in. <laughs> no, you're too kind. I don't deserve that. I'll be here all week. Um, 
Come early Friday from No Smoking Show. Brett Baer continues at this point um, in his interview with William Barr saying, you've been critical of your former boss, his temperament, his style, but in this case, in this effort to go after him, you defend him. Do you think, speaking of the, uh, the Durham report, do you think this exonerates him? And here's Barr's response. I, I felt uh, as I started learning more and more about Russia Gate, and I've said this is one of the greatest injustices done to a presidential candidate and a president. And he was treated unfairly. Was treated unfairly, which is uh, what uh, what Barr was was going to to say there. Uh, Brett Baer does a quick follow up, uh, saying you stopped short there. What he's been stopping short a lot, but it's not his fault. On uh, today's show, uh, you stopped short there, to which uh, Barr responds. I've had my differences with him. I've also said that I thought that he had great policies. Uh, there was a, he deserved a lot of credit for what he accomplished. And this was a grave injustice. And the fact that he was able to accomplish a lot in the face of it, I think, was a great achievement. I have other problems. I, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not supporting him for renomination. Well, what, do you go, what Barr goes on to say there is that uh, Donald Trump on the whole Russiagate thing did have it right from the beginning. Um, obviously, I think we would all agree on that. So, uh, yes, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll try my own joke here, Doc, which is I know that we're using uh, StreamYard software to produce this, but I, I'm not sure that StreamYard is uh, worthy of its name. It's not really doing a very good job of, uh, of streaming your, your clips here. Uh, but, um, you know, I, uh, look, I think that it is one of the, if not the greatest injustice that's ever been done to a president. President Trump accomplished a lot in office. He, uh, you know, gave us energy independence. Uh, you know, he kept us out of foreign wars and, and, uh, pulled us out of some we were already in. He's the one, not, uh, Barack Obama who deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. But of course, you know, that doesn't happen for conservative populist Republicans. Right. Uh, and, you know, uh, this, uh, scandal, I think, is much worse than Watergate. And it's not that Watergate actually didn't involve uh, a cabal uh, on the left with Democrats. If you read the books of uh, Jeff Shepard, who you might, you know, uh, go and see if you might want to do some episodes of your program, you know, in his books covers how, you know, there were ex parte contacts with the courts and the committees were working with uh, particular judges. And even at the appellate level, I mean, it's just the kind of conduct that should never happen that's completely unconstitutional and a violation of our laws and the whole nature of our system, you know, to go after uh, Nixon. And look, you know, there, the, there's the, the, the official story of Watergate where it resulted from, you know, Nixon wanting to steal uh, information before an election from the DNC headquarters. Uh, but, you know, then there's the... Uh, G. Gordon Liddy version, which is that you know, oh, yeah. there was a call girl ring and they were trying to recover particular information about that. Whichever version of that you, you want to take, right? How does that compare to alleging that a, a, a Republican presidential candidate was a Russian asset working for Putin who was going to destroy our country and that he had underlings, you know, intermediaries who were, you know, going back and forth with, with Putin and, you know, visiting Prague or, you know, going to Moscow. They destroyed Carter Page's life totally unfairly. I, I think that this, this scandal dwarfs 
uh, Watergate. It, it, it puts Watergate to shame, even if you look at the Woodward and Bernstein, all the president's men, you know, official narrative of what happened in Watergate. I still think this dwarfs it uh, in terms of what's just the perspective given in the Durham report, Doc. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things I found out recently, because I'm old enough to remember uh, in, in high school, a lot of times we would bring our lunch. So instead of going to the cafeteria, we would run back to homeroom, turn on the TV and watch Sam Irvin's, uh, you know, the, the Democrat U.S. Senator from North Carolina Watergate hearings. And one of the things I, I recently found out was that uh, LBJ was wiretapping Nixon in, in 68. I think he might have wiretapped uh, Goldwater 64 and Republicans on the committee were like, Hey, let's, let's look on the dirty tricks of both sides. And Senator Irvin's like, no, we're just going to be looking at Nixon here. You know, and, and Democrats were in charge of, of things. So, you know, he, he got his say, but nobody knew until decades later, um, the, the dirty tricks. And if, you know, and G Gordon Liddy's, I think his, his theory is quite plausible for what happened. Uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, I think less than two months before he got yanked off the air, uh, so impolitely, was talking about how um, there was a conspiracy to uh, take the most popular president in our lifetime out of office, being Nixon. Um, and, you know, real questions about where Woodward was before he was Washington Post uh, reporter, but I, I guess that's a whole other show. Um, so let, let me uh, follow up here. Brett Bear. Is is going next? Saying talking about the price of the Durham probe, six point five million dollars over four years, uh, for over four years and a couple of days. Uh, the Mueller probe was two years plus, about thirty two million. To which Barr agrees, something like that. And then Brett Bear says, "Is this worth this time and effort? What is the benefit in the long term?" I'll ask you, Jeff Clark. Uh, what Brett Bear asked William Barr, do you think it was worth all the time and effort? I, I think you'll, you'll, you'll agree that Mueller's investigation wasn't because I think Mueller probably knew pretty early on there was no there there. But what about, what about, uh, Durham's investigation? Well, I think, uh, that that's a good contrast. I mean, basically, that they're, they're inherently interconnected, right? Because the Mueller investigation is premised on the idea that, uh, Russiagate was potentially plausible, right? Whereas what the Durham investigation shows is that it was never plausible from the start. Proper procedures were never filed. Uh, there was a double standard being applied against President Trump and in favor or candidate Trump, depending on what time period you're talking about and in favor of candidate Clinton. And, so, you know, yes, I think the one is justified, the other one is not. Um, you know, at, the, at that point, you get into sort of quibbling about exactly how was the money spent. Uh, you know, I hope that uh, there was proper oversight of that inside uh, the department. But, you know, I know that, uh, you know, legal investigations take time and they take money, right? And coming, having come from a private practice background and not just from the background of having worked at the Justice Department, right, at some level, you get uh, Justice Department investigations for a relative bargain price because you're not paying uh, private rates and you're paying it for 
very good lawyers, uh, you know, uh, uh, good investigators who actually have, you know, tremendous tools. So, you know, I, I think the fixation on the dollar amount is kind of a political talking point sort of an issue. I think the real issue is now that the dust has settled, you know, what do you think of the Mueller probe? And I don't think much of it. I don't think it ever should have been launched. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the original sins in that process is the convincing that a group of officials at DOJ did to Attorney General Sessions to recuse himself from that uh, issue. And that recusal is what led uh, to Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General at the time, being empowered to appoint Mueller. Um, Because I don't necessarily believe that Jeff Sessions would have appointed Mueller. And so, you know, we, we, we could be in a world where we didn't have to have either, uh, you know, special counsel investigation because the first one, uh, you know, would never have gotten off the ground. And the second one was only necessitated because there needed to be an investigation of the issues surrounding the first one. Sure. So, you know, small things can become pebbles that, you know, are giant boulders as they roll downhill. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think I just figured something out, which is, uh, deleting uh, video files from the actual stream yard instead of from, from my deal. So, uh, and it, I, I, I hate to belabor a point here, but I, Barr says something that I think you're going to want to hear. This goes to the start of making sure that law enforcement power is not abused to interfere in politics. This is fundamental in civil rights. I didn't hear anyone complaining when the FBI was being investigated for for getting into civil rights groups and abuses back in the 60s and 70s. In fact, that was being cheered on by the left. This was investigating a presidential campaign based on a lie, no evidence, not even uh, dismissing all the exculpatory evidence. I invite people to look at that report. It's great reading. And the number of instances where where the FBI made this uh, decision. He's saying where the FBI made the decision to do some breathtakingly awful things is inexplicable. Jeff Clark, the FBI did do some breathtakingly awful things, but are these things really inexplicable? Well, it seems uh, as if they're highly coincidental in all working against the interests of Donald Trump and his political movement. So uh, I'm not sure that they're inexplicable. So Brett Baer continues saying a couple of specifics, uh, quoting from the Durham report, lack of analytical rigor, uh, apparent confirmation bias, and overwillingness to rely on information from individuals connected to political opponents cause investigators to fail to adequately consider alternative hypotheses and to act without appropriate objectivity or restraint, although recognizing that in hindsight, much is clearer, much of this also seems to have been planned. And so here is William Barr's response to that. And it was driven from the top. There was a predisposition to do this. One of the uh, one of the good stories here is that a number of FBI agents throughout this process would say, hey, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And, and try to slow things down and point. And they were brushed aside. They were reassigned. Uh, and uh, this thing was just driven from the top. As one agent in London said, when they were trying, when they were opening the investigation, the agent in London, of course, is is going to be saying, you, you know, this is being driven from the top, and there, there's nothing there. 
Uh, Jeff Clark, does it also seem this far into Brett Bear's interview uh, with, uh, with William Barr as if Brett Bear may be trying to politely bring up reasonable inferences of criminal intent here only for Barr to just completely ignore what Brett Bear is driving at? Because he seems to be getting, you know, fine-tuning it a little bit more with, with each question. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe that was uh, the strategy he used. Um, and, and certainly, uh, right, with it being so recent, the town hall that was done, uh, you know, in New Hampshire with President Trump and Caitlin Collins, right? We, yeah. you know, you can, you can contrast, uh, you know, Brett Baer's approach to Caitlin Collins' approach, uh, you know, and, and see sort of uh, someone who's a lot more experienced at this uh, at work and, and who also is, He's just less intrusive, right? I mean, if you were someone on the Presidential Debates Commission, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd inherently want to have a Brett Bear long before you'd want to have a, uh, a Caitlin Collins. Uh, so that you, your surmise about that could be correct. But what you, what what those remarks from Barr really bring to mind uh, in terms of talking about uh, you know people being reassigned and brushed aside inside the FBI who are reasonable voices yep. is uh, you know the uh, the FBI whistleblowers who testified to the congressional. Uh, weaponization subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee yesterday, including one of my colleagues, Steve Friend, who's a former FBI agent, you know, former SWAT team uh, of the FBI uh, yes, member. And, you know, his story of basically how, you know, he raised questions about the FBI not following their own processes when they were uh, going to interview, et cetera, January 6th uh, uh, related individuals. Uh, and, you know, he's he's ultimately turned you know, uh, told to kind of pipe down and, you know, don't, don't criticize the Bureau. And, you know, he winds up filing a whistleblower complaint to his immediate supervisor following, you know, just going by the book in terms of the whistleblower process before he ever approached uh, Congress. And, you know, to see that, uh, you know, he is uh, ejected after he's suspended, uh, his security clearances are stripped. The FBI won't give his weapons certifications documents to him or confirm their authenticity so that he can use them to get work in, you know, private law enforcement, private investigations and, and security, uh, you know, sorts of companies. It, you know, it's terrible. And one of the other whistleblowers, right, he said that the FBI essentially baited and switched him and he went out to take a new assignment and he got out there and uh, they left him homeless because they, they fired him, left him without a source of income after he'd moved his house and they wouldn't even turn over, you know, his transported household goods from the move to him for a while. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling to imagine that this is how American patriots and many of those on the FBI uh, whistleblower panel yesterday were also former veterans who, you know, saw combat uh, to be treated this way and, and to have, you know, someone like Representative uh, uh, Goldman, who's, you know, a trust fund baby, oh, yeah. uh, criticizing them for, you know, taking like a $5,000 bridge payment from Cash Patel because they have a family and they can't, you know, pay the mortgage and pay family expenses is really disgusting. Yeah, hey, uh, Goldman is disgusting. And the idea that these reforms have happened and Barr is like, yeah, Chris Ray and I took care of that stuff. Oh, yeah, not going to be any problems. It, it's, it's just ridiculous. Uh, Brett Baer has a, a, a short follow-up question. Uh, he's asking uh, Barr, and again, he's trying to, he's trying to, you know, 
uh, narrow down here, drill down. He says specifically, are you concerned about the FBI, the DOJ, looking at it now? And here's Bill Barr. So I, I, I have been concerned about both institutions for, for a long time. And I do think that, uh, you know, that there are more people in those institutions that are that are willing to uh, engage in politics. But I still think the center of gravity in those institutions among the professionals are still people who can check their politics at the door and do a good job. Another theme in this report is how the Justice Department National Security Division kept on trying kept on trying to get people's attention to say, hey, wait a minute, this is, you know, this is uh, not a good thing. It shouldn't be happening. But again, Jeff Clark, I, I, I hate to be, be give the impression I'm beating a dead horse here, but it seems as if Brett Barr is trying to give Bill Barr every opportunity in the world to face reality, but all Barr is offering up is, is willful blindness. Uh, your take, sir. Well, I, I, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, a decision to paint things and to frame them in a particular way, right? There's yeah. only so far he will go. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that was sort of the, uh, the real behind the scenes genesis of this and also why it took so long. I think, you know, Barr had announced pretty early on that he thought that this smelled of a, of a coup and an attempt to neutralize President Trump and either stop yeah. him from getting into office or uh, diminishing, you know, uh, minimizing his presidency. So, you know, wow, surprise, surprise, we fast forward four years and, you know, that's as far as it goes with with uh, Durham, maybe with the one asterisk footnote of uh, Klein Smith pleaded guilty. So he was able to get one conviction. Again, he was, he was low level. A slap on the he was low level, but what he did was very serious. You know, he changed this document for the CIA, which said, yeah, Carter Page, actually, yeah, he's an asset. And Klein Smith, I don't want the FBI to see that. Let's say he's not an asset. And that opened the door to all kinds of awful things that shouldn't have happened. And this guy gets a slap on the wrist and he's still practicing law. Yeah, he, you know, uh, uh, Doc, as you might be aware, uh, you know, my opponents are trying to strip me of my D.C. bar license. Uh, you know, I, I didn't do anything wrong and I certainly have not pleaded guilty to a crime. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Kevin Kleinsmith did. Uh, and he's got his D.C. bar license up. You can go to the lookup site on the D.C. bar website and you'll see that he's in good standing. Insane. Got a couple more clips here, sir, and I appreciate your patience. Uh, next, Brett Barrett just comes out and says it. He says to Bill Barr, when you see this report, and then you see the Hunter Biden laptop and the 51 signatories to this letter, that it's Russian disinformation, which then candidate Joe Biden uses in the debate. I mean, it seems to fit a pattern. And here's Bill Barr's response. Same pattern. Absolute lie. And uh, then getting political hacks in the case of Russia Gate, it was some of the talking heads we see on, on other cable channels uh, to endorse it. And that's what happened on Hunter Biden. It was an absolute bear. Yeah, it was the absolute bear something. Um, at, at this point, Jeff Clark, uh, doesn't Brett Bear seem to be suggesting that the FBI and the rest of the intelligence community are in much worse shape than Barr is willing to admit. 
Yes, I think so. And look, uh, you know, it's not prejudgment for me to say that it has now uh, come out that the 51 intelligence officials were prevailed on as part of a political process, right? That's what the acting head of the CIA has admitted. Uh, and um, that was all part of a campaign effort. And that that campaign effort was designed to give uh, Joe Biden uh, at least a fig leaf of a defense to uh, uh, President Trump talking about the revelations that come from the laptop, which, you know, again, low, low many years after the 2020 presidential campaign, you know, CBS has finally bestirred itself to admit uh, is a genuine, the genuine article. Uh, and we know that Barr and others at the Justice Department and the FBI, they had that laptop since 2019. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of passive voice in the way Barr is approaching this too. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, um, there's some active voice. There's, you know, Bill, uh, uh, Chris Ray and I, we reformed, you know, the FBI. Uh, sure. And so, sure. you know, pat our, ourselves on the back for that. But there's also sort of a notion of like, well, there, you know, there were mistakes going on. You know, there are, there are new processes. And yeah, uh, and, and that the 51 intelligence, uh, officials, uh, you know, seem to completely abuse the aura of, uh, knowledge and, and special trust that they had in order to just serve the interests of, of Joe Biden. But okay, you know, who was the attorney general in 2019? It was Bill Barr. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, that, but, but it's not as if Brett Baer ever asks a question that is that, uh, dead on and that head on, Doc. Um, you know, wouldn't that, that would have been your question, which is, okay, well, you had the laptop since 2019. Uh, and the only reason why they, the, uh, 51 officials could lie about it was because you hadn't done anything with it, uh, in the, in the interim until the presidential election occurred. Yeah, did Chris Ray even tell you, Bill Barr, we got the laptop, you know? Or did you find out about it in the New York Post story a few weeks before the 2020 election? I mean, that would be or, interesting. Or, or, you know, most importantly, again, since the president is the chief law enforcement officer of the United States, uh, when when did they talk to President Trump about that? Or did they yeah. not talk to him at all about it? What, did they seek his uh, views on how that should be handled? I mean, there are all kinds of questions here. You know, going back to what you were saying about getting Merrick Garland, uh, Bill Barr, uh, pardon me, uh, yeah, Merrick Garland, Bill Barr, and and John Durham in front of the congressional committee. Uh, Michael I, Horowitz, not not Horowitz. No, you I'm, could you could have a foursome panel too. There you go. Uh, talk there you go. But Merrick Garland, Michael Horowitz, John Durham. I want somebody to ask John Durham. Did you want to do some prosecutions and Merrick Garland overruled you? I mean, they won't answer that question on grounds of law enforcement privilege. I know. I knew there'd be privilege, but seemed like somebody should ask it anyway. Uh, Brett Barr wraps up his interrogation of Bill Barr on this topic uh, by saying, so it hasn't stopped, in other words, talking about the abuses. And, you know, I think one of the problems is that some of these channels now, these people are implicated in the big lie of Russia Gate. They're implicated in the big lie of the laptop. Uh, they have been, uh, you know, the political operatives that have been peddling this stuff to the American people. Some of them have won pri- uh, prizes and then they celebrate the civil servants who are responsible for the, you know, the, the uh, uh, horrible uh 
invest. Well, let's let's celebrate StreamYard also. But I, I think you get the point there. Um, look, I, I got to ask, um, and, and I want to get to what your political enemies have been trying to 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 do to you, which you alluded to moments ago. But Jeff Clark, what can and should be done about this level of ongoing corruption? at the Department of Justice and our intelligence community. I guess there's nothing we can do about it under this president unless the uh, the House Republicans uh, get the intestinal fortitude to try to cut off funding for something. But you just had 18 Republican senators a few months ago vote for that $1.7 trillion spending bill to give hundreds of millions more to DOJ and FBI so they can go after more Republican voters. Um, uh, and, so, and so the FBI can potentially have a new multi-billion-dollar headquarters. Oh yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sound like a great sort of disciplinary tool, does it? Oh, oh you guys really uh, messed up, and you shouldn't be harassing uh, American citizens you disagree with who are pro-life and uh, you know question the trans agenda, et cetera. Uh, but here's a new building, you know. Right. Chris Ray, enjoy your new office. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, and, um, and some so, of these some of these Republican senators are really great at talking tough to some of these representatives of FBI or DOJ and a congressional committee, but yet voted to give them hundreds of millions more. I can't think of anybody by name right off the bat. Tom Carter, excuse me. But um, anyway. Yeah, so look, I, I, I hear you. I think that uh, they can also use the Holman rule, which they now have uh, back reinstituted. Uh, they can basically defund the positions of, you know, officials who've been shown uh, to be, and this is a political process, right? So this is not yeah. a violation of any kind of due process rights, right? If yeah. as a result of a political process, there are sufficient number of Republicans who insist on, you know, look, we're not going to pass a bill unless we have, let's just, I'll just give you a small example, right? Uh, the entire whistleblowing uh, office at the FBI, uh, you know, they say that the whistleblowers who testified to Congress yesterday are not proper whistleblowers, yeah. which I think their lawyer, you know, easily blew up yesterday oh, yeah. uh, that they did have protected disclosures to make. So the FBI is clearly violating the that that law, in my view. And so Congress could just as a matter of a, the political process say, we're not going to fund that office anymore. And basically, none of the officials who work for it, none of the employees who work for it are going to get salaries. Right. There's a there's a clear disciplining tool under the Holman rule that they have. And, uh, you know, they should get strong and exercise it just as you're suggesting. Uh, Jeff Clark, for my viewers here today on our first um, video presentation of the Washburn conversation, you aren't uh, aware. Um, last year, you had federal agents show up at your home and uh, basically drag you out of your home early in the morning, wouldn't even let you put pants on, you're in your underwear. And you're, you were a U.S. Assistant Attorney General over two divisions of the Department of Justice um, under... Just five AG, months earlier. Yeah, under A.G. William Barr and President Donald J. Trump. What happens that federal agents... Uh, think they have the right to do something like this, have the gall to do something like this, and you're not even charged with a crime. What can, can you try to explain this to my viewers? So, uh, 
you know, there, there were, uh, committees that approached me, uh, about testifying and, uh, there was the House Oversight Committee and then the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I refused to do so on grounds of multiple privileges like executive privilege, lawyer client privilege, law enforcement privilege, uh, and also the argument that the January 6th committee, uh, they came along eventually too, were not properly constituted. The right. January 6th committee wound up issuing a subpoena. And, uh, you know, I interposed all of those uh, privileges, the executive privilege at the president's instruction, President Trump, and law enforcement privilege at the Department of Justice's own instruction. And uh, the January 6th committee refused to take no for an answer. So then I ultimately uh, invoked my Fifth Amendment uh, privilege because it was clear where they were going in their allegations. And so they got no documents from me. And then uh, the D.C. bar, you know, in a clever way, just reformulating the order of the requests and the phraseology, asked for the very same documents. And, you know, I told them, look, I can't give you documents that are uh, privileged and that I just refused to give to the January 6th committee. Right. Uh, they took that to the D.C. Uh, D.C.'s local highest court, the D.C. Court of Appeals, but they didn't make any headway in actually getting an order against me. And then, you know, yeah. lo and behold, uh, a warrant is issued to come and search all my electronic uh, devices. So I think that there was probably some coordination going on between those three arms, between the D.C. bar uh, uh, Office of Disciplinary Counsel with the House January 6th Committee and with the Inspector General, because it's the Inspector General actually who had gotten that warrant and Inspector General officers who showed up at my house. Yeah, that, that thing shocked me when I interviewed you um, before. These are not FBI agents. These are federal agents working for DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz. Yes. Was that kind of a shock to you too? Yes. Uh, and so we also don't know much what, like we don't know, you know, what uh, A.G. Garland thinks about the, uh, the, the Durham report, right? I don't know what, whether the A.G. or the deputy A.G. approved what the I.G. did or whether this was done on the I.G.'s authority. And also, you know, you raised the question of sort of like, well, why exactly were they doing it? And, you know, uh, I had to fight to get a copy of the, of the warrant that day when the agents came by, they ultimately gave it to me, but it's not very uh, enlightening. What you really need to see is the underlying affidavit and they refused to give that to me and they refused to give it to my lawyers when they asked for it in ensuing months. So it's still a black box. So you're saying this is five months after you left office. Yes. So this is like two years ago, right? This is, no, it's last year. Okay, I'm sorry. No, so I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe I, I, I misspoke there because I'm thinking about January to June. You're right. So January uh, 14th, 20, here's the chronology. January 14th, 2021, I left office. Uh, late January, uh, there were leaks to the New York Times, and that resulted in this narrative starting to build against me. Uh, and then uh, the House Oversight Committee uh, approaches me to ask, uh, you know, for me to potentially come in and interview with them. And, and the Senate Judiciary Committee does the same. Ultimately, at the end of 2021, the January 6th committee shows up, displaces the House Oversight Committee. The Senate Committee, uh, Judiciary Committee puts out a report. Uh, Dick Durbin from the Senate Judiciary Committee sends a 
referral of me to the DC bar. Uh, and then once the processes of trying to get documents seem to, to, uh, to fail, uh, you know, in terms of the January 6th committee, the other committees, the DC bar, uh, then, you know, that's when the IG executes a warrant and then just takes my electronic devices in June of 2022. Gotcha. Gotcha. And yet you're treated like a common criminal, even though you're not charged with anything. I mean, legally, legally, how can they dare to haul you outside in your underwear without letting you put your pants on? Well, I think it's uh, an abuse of law enforcement discretion, Doc. Uh, but let, let's, let, let me give you an example, which I think would not be uh, an abuse of law enforcement discretion, right? So uh, the DOJ learns that there is a, uh, a dangerous drug dealer who, based on multiple sources, uh, is always armed with weapons, including automatic weapons. Uh, and uh, he has a you know a number of bodyguards right, and he's living at a at a uh, a remote house right, and they go to execute a warrant to search his electronic devices, and you know they knock on the door, and he he says, oh, give me a few minutes, let me get my pants on right, and they say, uh, well, you know look, you know you got to come out, no, we're we're not going to expose our agents to to danger by going into your house right. Uh, that would not be an abuse of discretion. But right. I'm not uh, uh, analogous to said drug dealer, right? I, I have no criminal record. I have had no, uh, you know, prior uh, bar complaints. I served in the Bush administration for four years at the Justice Department. I had finished more than two years at the uh, the uh, uh, Trump Justice Department uh, with AG Barr and AG Sessions. Um, I have no history of violence in any regard, right? Yeah. And so the, the idea that, you know, I, like I, I said to the agents, um, you can come with me, you know, upstairs. I'm just going to put the pants on, right? This is not, I'm not going to lock the door and then, you know, come back or potentially flee. Presumably yeah. you have the house surrounded anyway. I, you know, I just don't want to be pulled outside of the house at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, when I ran down thinking that maybe, you know, with all the banging, a, a neighbor had an emergency or there's a fire or something. So, yeah. uh, anyway, that's, that's the abuse of, of discretion. And, you know, I haven't gotten any good explanation for why they decided to proceed that way. I'm sure what they would say is, well, look, if we're executing a warrant, we have to assume the worst. And, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't do that. We would have been exposing our agents to risk. But, you know, look, I, I think there was some t- analogous testimony yesterday to the House Weaponization Committee where, you know, basically, uh, agent friend, uh, you know, was talking to them about like, why are we going to use uh, multiple agents and kind of SWAT team treatment to go talk to someone who's voluntarily talking to us. That seems like yeah. overkill. And, you know, I've never seen overkill like that before. So similarly, the way they treated me was definitely overkill. If it pleases the court, let the record reflect that there are no noticeable similarities between uh, Counselor Jeff Clark and El Chapo. Um Speaking of the weaponization committee, you know, it might not be a bad idea for them to ask if you would like to talk about your experiences uh, since you left the Trump administration. Has anyone from the weaponization, from, for the viewers, there is a committee uh, that was formed after Republicans took back over 
uh, control of the U.S. House, uh, January of 2023, this year, uh, that's supposed to be investigating how the federal government is weaponized against its citizens. Uh, it, it would seem like, you know, it'd be only uh, polite for them to say, uh, Mr. Clark, would, would, would you like to talk about how they've been weaponizing against you? Has, has anyone from the Weaponization Committee reached out to you? So, uh, Doc, I think, you know, in your maiden voyage here of a video podcast and, and for your uh, regular listeners when you were exclusively in audio format, um, you know, I think they, they should consider that, uh, you know, a kind of open letter from Doc Washburn to, uh, you know, various House uh, committees. But um, I think I'll leave it there. Okay. All right. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, Jeff Clark, we appreciate you coming on the program so much. You got the patience of Job with our uh, uh, different uh, technical challenges today. Again, Jeff Clark, former U.S. Assistant Attorney General, two divisions of DOJ under President Trump, and these days senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. I want to take a look at that new article you have out. What is the, what's the website for Center for Renewing America? It is uh, AmericaRenewing.com, Doc. AmericaRenewing.com. And again, I think the easiest way to find it, just because it'll take you right there, is to look at my uh, uh, May uh, 19th Twitter feed. And you'll, you'll see there's a, it's a three-tweet uh, string thread, and uh, the third of them has the uh, link to the paper and a picture of it. Yeah, and, and, and the link for that matter is, is probably on your, your Twitter profile for that matter. Yeah. Uh, it's not in the profile, but it's, you know, it's, it, 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 it's in tweets from May 19th. May 19th uh, of this year. Fantastic. Jeff Clark, uh, God bless you, sir. We appreciate you coming on the program and, and putting up with everything that, uh, that you've had to put up with today. We wish you Godspeed. As we say here in the South, y'all come see us. Great. Thanks. Glad to be here and glad to see you a second time, Doc. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Today's Tweet of the Day is brought to you by Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Okay, today's Tweet of the Day is a two-parter. It starts off with the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness saying four years ago, Bill Barr called the cabal who plotted the Russia collusion scam a Praetorian Guard. He knew they interfered in the 2016 election, but he did nothing to accelerate criminal prosecution, waiting until October 2020 to make Durham special counsel. Now, I said today's Tweet of the Day is a two-parter. The second part is Jeff Clark our guest today, his response to Julie Kelly. He said, all by design, Julie Kelly, the non-investigation of the 2020 election, while professing a deep one occurred, now this with Durham. And on and on, all talk and no action. Barr sees the Praetorian Guard in the mirror every day while shaving. That's your tweet of the day, brought to you by Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online, have delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. And that is the first edition of what we hope will be many more of a Washburn conversation. Thank you.